0: Welcome back, listeners, to the first bonus episode of this off-season. I'm extremely excited to bring a special guest. You're gonna love every second of this interview, just as I did. I learned so much, and so I know that you're gonna learn so much, and you're gonna love this episode. This one that I'm gonna go back and listen to myself over and over again, just because of the vast amount of information in such a short period of time. It's a great, great episode, and I I hope that you enjoy this with. Without further ado, let's get started. So the Golden Gloves were just announced last week, and so I was having a conversation on Twitter about it, as I often do. As you know me, I've I've talked about many times about how I think the Gold Gloves are a joke. Uh, Although I have given some credit to since 2013, they would gotten better. However, I did not know how much better they've gotten since 2013, and they've gotten a lot better. And you know who challenged me on Twitter about it? none other than Chris Dial and he agreed to come on the show and I'm super excited that I was able to interview him Chris Dial is the man when it comes to defensive metrics he serves on the Sabre defensive committee who can who's responsible with for SDI which is Sabre defensive index which is directly related to the gold gloves it's 30 percent of the voting for gold gloves. Uh, Chris Dial is the creator of the Statistic Runs Effectively Defended. He's a founding writer at Baseball Think Factory and he served on Sabre's board of directors from 2014 to 2019. He knows what he is talking about when it comes to defensive metrics more than anyone I personally know and probably more than anyone you know. And I'm extremely excited for you to hear this interview. I learned so, so much from it. As I'm sitting there listening to him talk, my jaw dropped a few times. Not only because of the numbers, but also just the fantastic history of it all. It's just a fantastic story about how all this got started. And I hope that you enjoy. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump right into the interview. Before we move on, I want to talk to you about a product that I am excited about. Fresh Prints of South Walton offers t-shirt printing services to businesses, sports teams, churches, charities, and many other clients locally and nationwide. I know for me personally, I'm not just pitching this because someone told me to. I use this service and this company does a great job. They made shirts for myself and my family and I still wear them to this day. They're located in South Walton County of Florida, but they offer free delivery service to local clients so they can focus on their business and not be out running errands, but they also will ship nationwide. Fresh Prints is devoted to offering high-quality, affordable screen printing services from small orders to large contract jobs. Keep your team looking fresh with Fresh Prints at www.freshprinceofsouthwalton.com. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm honored that you would take time out of your schedule to share your impressive knowledge of baseball, and I'm looking forward to this interview. I know that you know tons, and I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me on. I I don't do all the podcasts but uh National League East you have to show the respect to talk to the uh other teams around the National League East.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm I'm in, I'm kind of in the boat where I know that like different teams like the Braves, the Mets, Nationals, Phillies, we kind of have this rivalry going, but I'm in the camp of whenever let's say the Nationals went to the World Series, I was rooting for the Nationals because that means that the National League East was a good division or maybe a better division that some than some people were giving credit for uh much like this year with the braves only winning 88 games but as we saw that regular season and postseason are not the same thing
1: 100 100 now 100 that the postseason i i'm not very much like that um because i'm much older than you are so <laughs> uh, the braves don't really drive any particular um uh, dis, distaste. I'm a Mets fan and I've been a Mets fan all my life, um, mostly because when I was a kid uh, it was the late 60s, early 70s. And there was no, and I grew up in North Carolina. So the Braves weren't any closer than the Orioles. And in fact, I think the local broadcast, you know, 20 miles from my house was Orioles broadcast and the local broadcast. Well, just to the east, I mean, west would be the Braves broadcast. You're kind of in the middle. And, um, and so the Braves had really only been there since 66. So people weren't all Braves fans yet. It was mostly, oddly enough, Yankees fans because they were obviously, you know, you only had to read the newspaper. There was no TV. So every my dad was a Yankees fan, even though he grew up in rural North Carolina. Of course you are. Who isn't a Yankees fan in the 50s? So, um <laughs> So I've always been a Mets fan, mostly one, not to be a Yankees fan like my dad, but two, uh, I'm of the age, I started Little League during Tom Seaver's heydays, and so everybody wanted to be Tom Seaver and so on and so forth.
0: Nice. So I'm super excited to bring you on today to talk about defense, especially with the gold gloves and everything that have been going on. I truly believe that defense is an extremely overlooked by the vast majority of fans As far as how to evaluate and stuff like that, I preach defense as much as I possibly can. And I know that you do too.
1: That's right. And uh, I really got into doing defensive analysis largely for that exact reason. Um, Back in the 90s, we didn't really have, uh, there was no data, there was no StatCast, there wasn't even a a, a DRS uh, or even a Baseball Info Solutions. There was Stats Inc. And um, they really started, and it's it, Stats Inc. really uh, was the foundation of baseball info solutions. Uh, Bill James had started a program called uh, Project Score Sheet where he asked volunteers to score all the baseball games and write down where all the hits were and the fielders and who caught what. So it really goes back to just a ground, a grassroots level to record that. And that's really where even StatCast today comes from.
0: Wow, that's I had no clue. That's really cool. I did not know that. So, uh, speaking of that, you're involved uh, with Saber and SDI, right? Can Can you let listeners know basically what SDI is and how, in a nutshell, how it's calculated?
1: Absolutely. So, in um, so SDI is the Saber Defensive Index, and in 2013. Um, Rawlings, and I'm sure listeners know about uh, Rafael Palmeiro won when he was mostly a DH, um, and that Derek Jeter won, which is obviously horrific, doesn't make any sense to anyone except Derek Jeter. Um, <laughs> and and so Rawlings, it, it got later than that, but it, the Rawlings had literally uh, not really been highlighted as how good the gold gloves were. So Rawlings and Sabre Got together and said, Hey, can we jazz these up with some defensive uh, analysis? Um, so at that time, and this is 2013, so there's still no StatCast. There wasn't even an MLB AM yet. I mean, there was, but not a public one. And so in that, uh, they reached out and um, Sabre formed a group. Now it involved John DeWan, who uh, uh, ran Baseball Info Solutions. And he was on the committee, so we had a committee that said, "Let's let's take eight or ten public metrics metrics that exist, and let's uh, try to figure out a way to balance them to make them uh, work for creating a metric that people will buy into and can describe defense." And in that, we we tested some metrics. Um, it was done by Baseball Info Solution did the testing. But, uh, but then from that, uh, DRS, defensive run saved, UZR, ultimate zone rating, um, my metric, which is called runs effectively defended, red. And uh, then two, uh, so those are all based on fielding, uh, not traditional fielding stats, but based on where the ball was hit and things like that. Um, ball and play data, as I call it. And then there's two traditional ones, Michael Humphreys, DRA, defensive regression analysis, and uh, total zone, which is at baseball reference. So it was these are all widely available in that sense. So once we had done some testing, then we weighted them based on uh, their consistency. And at that time, and this was obviously in 2013-14. Um, DRS and RED tested the highest, so those both had a 25% contribution. So whatever RED came up with, that's my stat, Uh, we said Freddie Freeman was worth 10, I said 10 runs saved, right, and DRS said eight runs saved, and then UZR said 12 runs saved, and then total zone or DRA would say whatever they said, and we 25% for RED, 25% for DRS, 24% for UZR and 15 for the other two. And so those weightings then um, every time it comes up, every time you see the SDI come out, um, Sean Foreman who runs Baseball Reference, uh, he aggregates the numbers and sends them over to the Sabre um, representative uh, FX Flynn and he makes the spreadsheet and presentation and we send it in to Rawlings, publish it on the site. Um, And that's how the waiting has gone. Now, StatCast came along because it's important. The Last year, we've incorporated StatCast because the data is better now. Um, Now, this was the first year for StatCast because it would have been last year, but there was no season, so they weren't incorporated, but we had planned to. So uh, once StatCast had three years of data, um, 18, 19, 17, 18 and 19, and they could show that it was robust then we pulled it into the system. So now we use StatCast and the weighting shifted a little bit, but they're approximately the same. So that's uh, how each one one gets uh, rated. And then basically, how many runs did you save on average across these weightings? And then that's your SDI score. So when you see the SDI, then that, uh, when you go to saber.com and see the SDI, that is the average of these scores. It's not a flat average because some of them have more value than others. Um, There are differences. Not everybody has does catchers like UZR doesn't rate catchers, so they have no rating. Um, They're not included in that, and so the the percentages are slightly different. Um, Almost none of them rate pitchers. Um, Basically, DRS, Red, and Total Zone we rate pitchers. Those are the only three included in the pitcher ratings. So things like that. And each one, the difference is each rating has slightly different treatments of the raw data. DRS and RED are the only ones that basically do everything about every player. Um, the one One of the key differences though, DRS, they're a professional organization and I'm RED and I'm a research chemist. So I don't really have the time to do all of it is they also break down pitchers caught stealing. So their ratings have a little more granularity uh, than that. So it really just speaks to the granularity, but the way that they were initially uh, set up that kind of speaks to the granularity of each step.
0: Wow, that was, that was good. Yeah, it was a lot. Very awesome. I mean, Hmm. I, I, I just learned so much from that. Uh, I appreciate that info and I'm super excited for everyone to to hear all of that.
1: Yeah. And, and having StatCast in it is obviously uh, a very key component. And um, I've given several presentations uh, at conventions and other uh, meetings where we talk about the evolution of how these stats even came to be uh, at all. And eventually, while we include uh, DRS and UZR and Red. And these other ones, I mean, StatCast is going to replace us all. I mean, just the robots are going to replace us all.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, I I definitely understand. And part of it will be good. I'm sure there's going to be pros and cons to that, you know, Um, because there is something to be said for the human element. I mean, if everything was straight computers, we wouldn't be having debates like Derek Jeter should not have won all those gold gloves, you know. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, there would be nothing to talk
1: about. Yeah, and even now Statcast doesn't doesn't do outfielder arms, right? So it, and, and DRS uh, does a, a does a lot with um, specifically the catch over the wall, right? So the Statcast doesn't really track that it was over the wall and prevented a home run, whereas DRS can know that, whereas the computer isn't really sure of that, mm. right? And uh, smaller things like scoops by first baseman, right? I think Mm -hmm. Stack Hats is getting there. Um, Tom Tango, who's a friend of mine, and he's the MLB architect. Oh, yeah. Mm I mean, he says, you know, we're like in the third inning of development of what the data can do. Now, they're capturing all the data, but to be able to proofread the data and, you know, pressure test and validate what is happening, as well as even come up with the formulas to make it equitable, is, is not an easy thing. So that's why the first one was how far did the outfielder run to catch the ball? That was it. And mm-hmm. now they did infield. How far did the runner go? But in the infield, they also do how fast is the batter? So when you make this play, you, you can really put each play in a very specific bucket. And these DRS and and Red, we do almost everything the same. What we don't have in any either of our ratings is where was the fielder standing? We both assume that he was standing in place X, right? Uh, Which is normal. And with StatCast, it tells you where they're standing. And that's really the differentiator between StatCast. Now, DRS also, full-time company, incorporates some of that positioning data in their finer data. So uh, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, you can quote me on this. Is they, they participate in um, arbitration hearings, right? Because they have, you know, uh, if I were a player I, and I would have good DRS, I would pay uh, Baseball Info Solutions to help me with them, my argument for arbitration, and so on and so forth. So they do have some proprietary stuff they don't include in the public ratings. That's fine. Um, or they may include them in the ratings, but they don't explain how they get there because of proprietary reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's a, a really important part of, of how the, the difference between what's the difference between StatCast and what's the difference between RED and DRS is we don't know where the fielder was exactly. StatCast does. So we make an assumption that uh, basically StatCast doesn't have to do now, has still obviously doesn't do ARMS, as I mentioned, but there's other aspects to it that they just can't get yet. But like they right. don't have the same framing. They do have a framing component, but it is uh, it has not been as vetted in the public domain as the other
0: things have been. Interesting. How would you get involved doing RED and how would you get that involved with the SDI and all of that? What's the story behind all that? Yeah,
1: that's a That's a. Exactly. Almost what you said to start. Uh, So in the beginning, you said you think defense is underrated and or undervalued. And in the 90s, I said the same thing, right? And this is in 1995 and 96, where if you're a big Mets fan, the shortstop Ray Ordonez was, you know, this defensive God. And he, even though he hit a, a hundred, his defense made up for it. And obviously at that time, uh, the statheads, which is what they were called, and that's actually a term over at Baseball Reference now. Stathead, it was a website, uh, and so statheads are, are everyone that believed in OPS plus. WAR wasn't invented yet, but OPS plus, and we did talk about replacement levels. So VORP, value of a replacement level, was was created by Keith Woolner um, at uh, at um, Google Groups called rec sport baseball so usually when people think of baseball prospectus there's actually a precursor to that and it's called rsbb which is in usenet so almost so all of the people you know from baseball prospectus long-term fame joe sheehan clay davenport gary huckabee keith law uh, christina carl they were rec sport baseball and then they spun out and decided to make a website in like 1997 and write a book. Right. But we had been already doing this in 95 and 96 and even earlier than that, you know, for really old guys. I mean, I met Dan Zimborski, the ESPN and now Fangraphs guy back then. And I met Jay Jaffe back then and he was writing a blog. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was all part, and this is all, uh, pre any website. <clears throat> and so defense, I said, is more important than that. And uh, I had done scoring for stats. And so I, so I understood the data for zone rating. And so I took that and I, I converted it into runs using formulas from baseball, uh, Bill James, uh, the, the project score sheet from the late 80s. There was a there was a a woman. Her name was Sherry Nichols. S H E R I N Nichols. If you Google that, so Sherry Nichols uh, was a math person, worked in San Francisco, and all these people are scientists already. And she had come up with a, a way from Dale Stevenson and another fellow. But anyway, these three people were really instrumental in creating the formulas and the weightings for how you take a play, a, some a, a ground ball to short, thrown out, and how you rated against the other chances all the other shortstops had and what the value of that was. So I took that, those learnings and I applied them to zone rating. Uh, and this is before you could get raw data, but we can get raw data now. And so I did that in 95, 96. And I used to publish on Usenet uh, something called defensive run saved. So I wrote defensive run save. So my stat basically used to be defensive run save. Mm -hmm. But then Baseball Info Systems said, no, we're defensive run saved." And I was like, my bad. So so we're red. Um, But uh, I did it then. And and it turned out uh, Ray Ordonez did not save as many runs as he gave, uh, as he was sacrificing at the plate. He was not worth it. And so I went back and I convinced all the Mets fans. And so all the stat heads said, hey, you were telling us that because uh, I was the anti stat head because uh, they did, they thought defense was not very valuable. Even the stat heads, I'm talking mm-hmm. about even the people who would do war or not war, but uh, runs created. They were like defense is a small portion of a game. And I'm like, no, it isn't right. Mm-hmm. And I did prove that, but I was not successful in demonstrating the value of of rare Donas. And so from 96 to 2000, I would publish, and you just go to the new, because there was no websites. Mm -hmm. You would go to the uh, news group at the end of the year, and I would publish, and I would do it periodically throughout the year, through August, here are the leaders in, uh, I called it the dial player index. So I would calculate runs created, and I would calculate runs saved, and I would add those together, which is basically wins above average. So I was publishing essentially it wasn't wins. it was runs above average at the end of the year. You divide by ten, that's wins above average. So I was publishing that um, in of ninety six to two thousand and one when uh, jim Jim Furtado started baseball think Factory and I he asked me to write over there and so I wrote articles and published and then Tom Tango, who was writing, it was really strange because of these other message boards at Fan Home. those archives have vanished, but Tom Tango came over and he wrote at that, and Mitchell, Mitchell Lickman, MGL, who does UCR, he published that at, all of that at Baseball Think Factory, and that was, Baseball Think Factory basically became where people would write and discover uh, stuff, and before they went on to bigger things, so they would, Write at Baseball Think Factory, then they would write at um, Hardball Times, and then they would write at Baseball Prospectus, and then they would write at Sports Illustrated. So it was, you know, the Baseball Think Factory discovered you. They, 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 we're the scouts that signed you, and then they would go through Double A and Triple A into the majors. So it's kind of like that. So anytime you see somebody, uh, they go, oh, there's a Baseball Prospectus writer like Christina Carl. Well, she started in sport baseball. So that, that was the minor leagues. And then they worked their way up. So, you know, Colin Wires, who wrote there, and now he's uh, an analyst for the Braves. He's a good friend of mine. He's, he wrote stuff at Baseball Think Factory. Then he wrote at Hardball Times. Then he wrote at Baseball Prospectus, and so on and so forth. So it, it's just one of those uh, uh, breeding grounds. I, you know, people wanted to do that um i'm a research chemist so i couldn't afford to become a writer
0: (laughs) nice nice yeah that's kind of where i I do a lot of writing as well nothing like any of those people but i definitely understand that it's uh it's a side thing for me that i do for fun um i i can't take away it is expensive to leave my main job to be a full-time writer I guess I could, I could say I got a family to support right now. If it happens to go that way one day, sure. I mean, I love writing, but like like you said, uh, it is a bit expensive to to pull back from my guaranteed money to get into the writing world. So I definitely understand. So uh, I don't think we mentioned it already. So I just want to give you credit on the SDI thing. But can you tell uh, the listeners how much SDI plays in as far as the Gold Glove Awards?
1: Yeah, that that's a good point. So, when they spoke to us, uh, when I mentioned that uh, Rawlings came to Saber, they asked around who were defensive specialists, and I had was already known as a defensive specialist, even on my Saber bio. So I was selected to be on the committee, and then randomly they chose mine. I didn't put my own uh, stat forth. So, in in 2014, we calculated the SDI and we gave it to Rawlings and. It was we agreed with the voters about 60%. Um, in 2015, we sent it and we, they agreed with the writers about 65%. But then in 2016, Rawlings put it on the ballot, so the SDI, and then we jumped up to 85 or 88%. You know, I think that was the first year on the ballot, like Adam Jones still won the gold glove and he was rated as like one of the worst fielders. But everybody liked him. Mm -hmm. So from 2000, basically 16 to present, the last five years and most of the gold gloves in 15, I think 15, they shared it with them, but they didn't put it on the ballot. Then they started putting it literally. So now when they get a ballot that says, uh, you know, fielding percentage, assists, put outs, now it says SDI. So this year. Uh, for the winners of the SDI in the American League, nine for nine. First place in SDI, first place.
0: I did notice that, yeah.
1: In the National League, there was like one person finished second, I think, in the SDI and Brandon Crawford finished fourth. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the people ahead of him that wasn't qualified by the, the 120 or eight. No, actually, I think it was because Paul de DeJong, DeJong he had lost his job. So he had accumulated that. He, he's the best fielder. He had accumulated enough, but he lost his job. So voters weren't voting for him. He's not even the shortstop anymore. Right. Right. So he, and he was first. So in the, in that vein, Crawford finished third. Right? right. But, but if you count first or seconds, and usually they're tied. Like if you look, um, and, uh, Shoot, uh, McMahon, were tied to do t- two decimal places. Now you might notice that if you look at SDI, McMahon's is listed first and Aronado is the second because in the future, dec- more decimals, McMahon is six point seven five versus six point seven one or whatever, and so uh, that. But if you finish first or second, and in all of these things, when I talk about the agreement, first or second, because they're so close in those top two positions all the time, and with the error within the methods, when we go somebody has say 6.7 runs, it could have been 6.9 or 7 and or 6.3. So anybody 6.7, 6.6, just like with war, if people are that close in a number, then the errors of the calculations uh, or just the measurement is enough to say either one of them is a fine choice, right? And that's why when I say the agreement, so this year it was you know, 96%. And that's really where it is now. The SDI winner, and you can go back four or five years, every year, there might be two that aren't one or two. That would be a high number. That's a head, you're not, we have no head scratchers. What? Well, Derek Jeter? No. You know, the last head scratcher is Aaron Adam Jones who was a great guy, very charitable. So when people talk about the gold gloves are a joke, they don't know what they're talking about. It is fair to say the gold gloves were not very rigorous up to 2014. And I show that in a series of tweets about how the SDI has no agreement. It agreed about 40% of the time until 2015, and now it agrees at 90%. And that's incorporating all the best data we have. It includes StatCast, right? So we say this is as good a measurement as we have, and that is who is winning the gold glove is SDI. And that's why you'll see these characteristics. If you go back in time, uh, Dan Zimborski uh, used to say this, it is easier to win two gold gloves than it is to win one gold glove. Because once you were the gold glove winner, you won every year. And that's why people think it's trash, but mm-hmm. now if you look every year, there's five or six new first year winners. There, that only happened because reputation is not the factor. No one wins on reputation anymore. Which no is one. That's huge. That's huge. That, me. that and that's what you know. When we were you and I were talking about it, you know, everyone is conditioned to this. Uh, um, uh, Rafael Palmero won, right? Mm-hmm. And even, you know, Jesse Specter, I'll call him out. He's a New York Yankees fan. He's like, oh, I had the gold gloves for crap because Aaron Judge didn't win. Aaron Judge didn't win because he wasn't qualified again. He has to stay on the <laughs> field. If you want to win the gold gloves, stay on the field. Right. You have to be on the field enough times. Now, the problem is the gold glove voting cuts off like September 12th. So if Aaron Judge was injured the first half of the year and he makes up all those innings in the last three weeks, He qualified, but we didn't make that rule. And that doesn't make it a joke. You know, at the end, it is the same way when people go, Randy, a won Rookie of the Year, which I think he's going to, but everybody knows last year he was a monster. How could he be Rookie of the Year this year? Because of the rules around Rookie of the Year.
0: Right, exactly. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, um, the Gold Gloves now are as good as they can be. There's, there's no argument that the person that won the Gold Glove is a top two fielder in the league,
0: mm-hmm. period.
1: Anyone arguing otherwise, you know, and even if Brandon Crawford finished fourth this year, for all intents and purposes, he is a top fielder. You can go back and look at his year in, year out. He's a top mm-hmm. fielder. If Angelton right. Simmons had won, he's a top fielder. It's not a shame, you know, oh, he won on reputation. Well, his reputation is good and he finished third. So, yeah, he's still really good. Mm-hmm. so um and it's one of those things that matters a lot when you go back in time you know um I, I'll, I'll pick on omar this guy. he won like 11 gold gloves he didn't deserve any of those gold gloves that's not true he deserved two of them
0: and it's interesting
1: and and nowadays if he were playing today and that's what you see no one wins multiple gold gloves they win two but what happens is defense is a young man's game right So you'll see and it's also a lot of rookies uh, Cabrian Hayes, Ryan McMahon is a young player. A player like Arenado winning, right? That is very surprising. So uh, people said, um, so Ro- Brooks Robinson has 16 gold gloves and Mike Schmidt has 10, and Arenado won his ninth. I don't think he's going to catch him. If he were voting on reputation, he probably would catch him. But right. next year, Cabrian Hayes didn't qualify and he's a great fielder. Mm and McMahon is likely to have a better year,
0: right, right?
1: and so just because of age, right, you're younger, you're faster, same in the outfield, as you see all these new young, the outfielders are all young, you know, they're just faster when they're younger, Mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, that's research in uh, Tom Tango and and MGL Mitchell Mitchell Lickman and Andy Dolphin's book, The Book, is they show the decay of, of speed by age. You're fastest at 23. It goes straight downhill from there. And so, um, yeah, a really fast player can hang on to his gold glove longer, but by and large, you're just, you know, a younger younger kid came along. So if you get to five gold gloves, congratulations. That's gonna be tough. I, I'll be surprised if you have many five five-time winners in a row um, the places where you can get that is in left field, where people try to hide. All right. You know, it's, you're out there for whatever reason. And so there's no good fielders in left field. And so in any given year, and if you look at the numbers, so the left fielder, I think, won five runs. I mean, the error of the measurement is close to five runs. So, you know, Tyler O'Neill won. Yeah, but he, he could just as easily, you know, lost he's the right. same as who were finished second is exactly the same there's no difference so that's one of the problems and, you know center field you get more chances a lot more chances and you see the difference uh there you know harrison bader is a much better fielder um michael taylor there he's a much better fielder and it shows up but he's young and so that that really helps
0: right well i appreciate what you guys are doing because uh, not only does it help open up the eyes of people to seeing defense, but with a guy like Michael Taylor, for example, yeah. probably ten years ago, he probably wouldn't have a job anymore. That you is know? probably correct. And right if now, he
1: did, no one would understand.
0: Right, right, because he wouldn't win any Gold Gloves. Right, exactly. <laughs> Some arbitrary uh, human voted, you know, with no yeah, not much data. But yeah, and I gotta I gotta let the listeners know, Chris here, me and him were having a conversation about it. And uh, I was still under the camp of gold gloves were a joke until he showed me all this data. So I just want to say publicly that,, um, thank you. You opened my eyes to this and uh, and I, and I'm, I feel like a lot I know a lot more, just from the small conversations we had previous to this, but absolutely no more now. And I think it's safe to say, can you agree with me that SDI has now directly affected gold gloves in the oh, awards? 100%.
1: Hundred, yeah. They are the gold gloves. In fact, uh, I mean, the coach is voting because it's hard for them to see all the players right. and they can't vote for their own players, mm-hmm. the all intents and purposes, if you get the SDI printout before the voting, you know, who's going to win, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of these two guys. Right. Um, and one of the things I want to say, this is, and you know, no disrespect to Rawlings is I don't care for the finalist. There's no finalist. Somebody already won. somebody already won just like the press the mvp finalists there's no there's no mvp finalists right they they just that's just for show right we already know who won there's no finalists you know who was the finalist for the mvp every player those were all finalists and then we (laughs) voted and then that's who it was that's a good point it's
0: not it's not like in traditional finalists where it's Hey, here's your three finalists. They move on to the next round. And then we no, go there's and none posted. Of that. it's none of that. Yeah. It's
1: already decided. It's already yeah. decided. And so you might see, and this is actually, it's kind of a good point. You might see reputation guys in the three finalists because they'll mm-hmm. rank them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. So you might see uh, a reputation guy finish, be a finalist, but he came in third. That didn't mean right. he was close to winning. It didn't even mean he was close to winning. Um, you know, Michael A. Taylor, I'm making up some numbers here, gets 80% of the vote. The second place guy gets 15%. The third place guy gets five percent. Well, he was a finalist, but he had he wasn't anywhere near being voted for. Right. So that's really one of the other aspects people have to think about uh when you say that. And I, you know, you the things you say, yeah, but your reaction isn't unusual. In fact, before you'd even uh posted that, I made the note that. You know, we have to do a better job. Me, Tom Tango, Mark Simon, we have to do a better job of educating people. And fortunately, you're open to come on your show and go, hey, listen, it's not Derek Jeter's gold gloves anymore. That is not what this, that's not what's happening anymore. We're taking the StatCast data that is real and using that along with other analytical processes to make sure we do everything we can. Rollins has gone beyond the pale to make sure we get this right, or at least as close to right as we can. Right. Um, Even though the the coaches still vote, you can see the coaches vote with SDI because their front offices, they all have analytical guys now. So they all know who the gloves are and they use StatCast data. So they believe this is what the StatCast data is. And that's largely how people win the gold gloves. Oh, I did want to say this. So everyone trashes on uh, uh, Rafael Palmeiro for his, you know, 300 innings or whatever. But in 1995, which was a shortened season, 144 games, Ken Griffey Jr. won the gold glove and he only played 500 innings.
0: He didn't (laughs) play a season
1: at all. No one talks about Ken Griffey Jr., four years earlier, winning a gold glove when he didn't play.
0: Oh man.
1: Yeah. No one, no one even knows about that one because it's just not, it's not in the the conversation, but the fact of the matter is Griffey played a third of the season. Yes. uh, Instead of 20%, he played 35%, but that's still not enough to have won a gold glove. Right. And, uh, and no one talks about the Ken Griffey uh, gold glove and Griffey wouldn't have won any gold gloves either.
0: You know, he it's funny have. you say that because I get in these conversations, I love having debates, healthy debates, because yeah. I feel like whenever you have debates with someone about player evaluation, it it forces you to do research to understand, you know? And so if it's a healthy debate, I love it. And you would not, but, well, you would believe it. I know you would, but yes, the, the amount of people that think King Griffey Jr. was like this defensive God Just blows my mind because when when, when you like about let's say someone's overall career wins above replacement, people are like, "Oh, King Griffey Jr. He's he's a top three guy," and I'm like, "No, he's not." I love one of my favorite. I've got a signed King Griffey Jr. picture on my wall right now. One of my favorite players of all time, but to put him up there as one of the best defensive center fielders ever is just not true. No, it isn't
1: because the only thing they'll point to is his Gold Gloves. Now, so one of the things I did, one of my research projects, and I gave a presentation at, at Saber is who got gold gloves they didn't deserve, Mm. right? And so what I did was I took the SDI and I went back to 1988 because that's the first time advanced metrics were available. So you go, yes, but if you look at the timeline, StatCast has only got three years. So I didn't use StatCast. And if you go to DRS, uh, DRS only goes back to at the time only went back to 2006, but I think they had the data back to 2003 and UZR only goes back to 2002. So there's a whole decade when we talk about Omar Vizquel and Ken Griffey, there's no data for except for RED because STATS had the data. Now, the important thing is STATS was a company founded by Bill James and John Dewan. And so, the same process that did stats data in those is, is what baseball info solutions is today, because John DeWan sold stats, his portion of stats, and he founded baseball info solutions. He basically does the exact same thing, a little more granularity, a little better. So it's an improvement. I'm not disputing that, but. If you look at uh, what red, who red would say is the gold glove winner and who SDI would say mm-hmm. who the gold glove winner, those are those agree over 90%. So I can take just red and say, okay, if I just, use, and not just red, red plus Total Zone plus DRA. So the, the, all of those are totals on and DRA available through baseball history because they use traditional stats. If I use those numbers then I am really going to be 90% correct on who the Gold Glove winner is. And using that, it showed that King Griffey Jr. wouldn't have, might have won one or two. And I did it in comparison. You had to finish in the top two. So if Ken Griffey didn't have to be the most run saved, he could be the second most run saved. Omar Vizquel, he could be the second most run saved. Just didn't happen. It happened a couple of times in their career, but not 10 times in a row. Because the young people would be supplanting them. And that's that's one of the the hardest things that people. Do. So that I have to get that presentation online. It is online somewhere over at the saber website. So I have to get it and I'll have to link it because it's really it really hurts a lot of people's feelings. Oh yeah,
0: I'm sure, I'm sure.
1: Because you know um, it talks about who who would never have won gold gloves. Who were the, who were mostly wronged by gold gloves, right? Um, I'll say a couple of those that are key is Chase Utley, who's going to have a hard time getting in the Hall of Fame. But if you give him eight gold gloves, he might be in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. So uh, if you take, uh, and usually, so Omar Vizquel, if you take away his 11 gold gloves, take away eight of them, he still wins three. He's not even in the discussion for the Hall of right. Fame. It's only the... Dominating conversation, I love. It. And King Griffey Jr. If you say he won three Gold Gloves instead of twelve, well, he's still one of the greatest hitters of all time. He's still right. in the Hall of Fame. So it doesn't mm-hmm. impact it. It really impacts the people on the edge, and it's really important for players like Chase Utley, players like Scott Rowland. These guys should have won a bunch of Gold Gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, and those are the parts of where people get really. It was. It's. It's a disservice to go. The gold gloves don't count. They do. We just gave them to the wrong people. Right. Um, I, would, I do want to say this, since it's a brave broadcast. One of the things that is one of the worst things about uh, the data is that Chipper Jones is viewed as a bad defender. It's not true. Interesting. It's not true. Right. Total Zone does it Now, the reason Total Zone and Total Zone and... Um, even baseball prospectus fielding runs above average or whatever they use, I don't have any idea what they use anymore. I don't subscribe. But um, the, the fallacy is uh, if, on average, if the Braves have this many innings pitched by left handers, then this many ground balls will be hit to the right side and whatever, right? So it's an adjusted range factor. But the fact of the matter is the way Tom Glavin pitched, the way Steve Avery pitched, the way Charlie Lee pitched was so that missed ground balls would get hit to the second baseman. So Chipper Jones, not a gold glover, but he's not a terrible fielder. He is just, and actually I have rated him as slightly above average. So, you know, he's slightly above average, whereas total zone has him slightly below average. And I don't know what, Baseball protectors has him, him now, but they used to have him at minus, two, like the one of the worst fielders of all time. And he's he's not that. He's a fine defensive player. He's fine.
0: Very right. interesting because I yeah. early right. on in my uh, in my I've been doing this podcast for about two years now, and one of my first episodes I ever did was breaking down Chipper Jones versus Eddie Matthews. And which one was a better, like both of them are obviously like a top six third baseman of all time. But people always forget about Eddie Matthews because we think about Chipper Jones. And in my opinion, Eddie Matthews, from a pure production standpoint, did have a better career than Chipper Jones. And the thing that separated him the most was the defense. So it's really interesting that you said that about Chipper Jones. I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, it was one of the things that people, when I was developing this metric, and people would be like, "Oh, that's just crap. You're just saying that because you know you want the Mets to be the best." No, it's it's independent of that. And people would say, "Yeah." And people that would defend it would say, "Yeah." If you don't believe me, look at what he says about Chipper Jones, <laughs> <Right>? which <laughs> is that he uh, that he was a he's a perfectly acceptable fielder, perfectly acceptable.
0: Very um, interesting. That, and and that's even, awesome.
1: even this, you know, when he dropped that pop up at the playoffs, people were like, "Just like his planer. It was like that's just. And I don't like I think well, I was like I don't want to get in this argument again. Now here's the bad news, Andrew Jones, not so great. Really? Yeah, absolutely great for three years, but he got a lot heavier and a lot slower. Yes. And you can see his weight go up, and everybody, Total Zone again, which doesn't use the the right data, still goes. He's catching all these flies, but that's because he was taking all the outs. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Jay Jaffe wrote a piece on it, uh, and he said, you know, I'm not sure Chris is right, and maybe I'm not right, but I think I'm right. But <laughs> Andrew Jones absolutely deserved five gold gloves. Did he deserve ten straight gold gloves? No. And and none of his – nothing about watching him makes you still think that if you watch him because he was fat and slow. He literally won a gold glove and then moved to first base.
0: Right. Interesting. Now, come on. Yeah. TV, yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. Uh, I do. I think it does go to show, too, that what you said about taking all the outs. Because if you look at things like defensive wins above replacement, Andrew Jones has more defensive war than any, yeah. any outfielder ever. But yes. he did it so long, and he did it all the time. And he played so many games. The dude hardly ever took an off day. <clears throat>
1: It's one of the other aspects to it. It's very simple. Um, and Bill James wrote about this in his Windshare's book, which obviously windshares has gone by the boards, but he did this. He noted that, um, uh, I think it's Cap Anson, or no, it's Nap Lejoie. Le he uh, he said, if you look at the plays, Nap Lejoie, Le I'm just going to say it wrong. He took all of what he called discretionary outs. So... If there's a pop-up behind second base, whose ball is it? It's the shortstop's ball. If there's a pop-up behind third base, it's the shortstop's ball. If there's a pop-up in shallow center field, it's the shortstop's ball. The shortstop is the captain on the defense. He takes all the plays. Well, that can be accounted for if that's true of all shortstops. But what Bill found was Naplejoy took all the pop-ups, all the throws to second base for call stealings. If it's a left-handed batter, the the uh, Shortstop taking the right-handed batter, you know, they just decide who was, who's going to take it based on the pitch. Not, not for them. Napoli-Joy took them all, so he has all these extra outs he made, but not because he was a better fielder, but because he took the discretionary outs. So Bill James makes that claim, has no problem saying it, and then everyone turns around, and goes, "Yeah, but Andrew Jones caught all the fly balls," and that's like, no, he took all the discretionary outs. And there's a fly ball to shallow center field. Andrew Jones called off the shortstop. That doesn't happen. Carlos Correa takes the pop fly, not Kyle Tucker. Right. right. That it, Because the one, if, if the shortstop can camp under it, he takes it. And that is not true in front of Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones took, you know, Ryan Klesko wasn't catching it. Right. Or Chipper Jones or, you know, Brian Jordan, Andrew Jones was taking that ball period. And, and so he has a lot of discretionary outs and the Braves threw a lot of fly balls. Interesting. Uh, look at Smoltz's uh, and Avery, they threw a lot more fly balls than, than many teams. So, you know, it's not perfect, but yeah, Andrew Jones took a lot of discretionary outs.
0: That's some. Mike, you, might, you solid, might want
1: to delete that whole section of this.
0: <laughs> no, I love, love it. I love it. I
1: like it. Um,
0: yeah. But, so, uh Dude, this is, this is some great info. I, I'm so stoked, but so where can listeners, where can they find your work and where can they find Sabre stuff?
1: So two places. One, I, I I write, and then most of your listeners probably won't be thrilled about this, but I write a monthly piece at Mets 360. Uh, now it's always uh, a Mets based one. So it's always about the Mets, but so coming up, I'll be writing about who should the Mets sign. Like last year at this time, Steve Cohen just became the owner. And I was like, you ought to buy Aaron You ought to get, you know, just the crazy stuff. But he did then immediately get Lindor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to go get some people, if you're going to call, like, I'm going to be a big time owner, let's see those Steinbrenner spins then. So hopefully that'll work out. Um, but that's the boring part. The other stuff gets, uh, is at saber.org. Everyone should be a member. Everyone that likes baseball. It's not expensive at all. It's like uh, 50 bucks. And I think it's depending on how old you are. So if you're under 30, it's $45. If you're over, if you're between 30 and 60, it's $60 or $65. And if you're over 60, it's back to 45. But it's, uh, it's great. You get access to paper of record, uh, all the sporting news of all time. You want to read about Eddie Matthews? Get a membership of Sabre, go over there and read all of that stuff. There's access to so much scouting data over there, all the defensive metrics. If you go to Baseball Reference, there's a thing called BioProject. So every player, not every player yet, but all the old players, there's a thing called BioProject where you go read about his whole career, his whole life, right? Where he was born, when he did it. You should check that out. It's called BioProject. There's also games project where they write it's about every game. So the goal wow. is obviously to get an account of every player. Obviously that's 20,000 players at this point, but they're like, I want to say there's five or 6,000 biographies. So, you know, if you take out all the one game guys, there's five or six biographies about all these players. So it's uh, really interesting They have to update a whole bunch of the Braves ones. Cause you know, a lot of them said, and he was on the last world series or the Braves, Gonna have to fix that one, (laughs) right? But (laughs) absolutely, but but they do get updated. Um, but this but there's all kinds of resources, and I can tell you right now, the convention, it is so much fun because it's there's obviously it's a little clickish, but the the internet baseball nerds such as myself, uh, Jay Jaffe, uh Corey Schwartz, Tom Tango you know, all of those guys, when they're there, and they're not always there, but uh, a whole bunch of baseball writer nerds uh, and get together, and, you know, the age range is from 20 to, you know, 55, 57 old, but it is, it is raucous, there's a few uh, beverages consumed, and everyone has just an amazing time, and you go see all these presentations, cutting-edge presentations about, you um, about uh why the baseball was juiced right uh dr meredith wills she goes and she's really funny and she does uh presentations it's really just a great great convention it's like those uh cartoon shriners conventions except it's everyone there wants to talk about baseball so it's a great time and this coming year it's in baltimore so it's not even far away and uh and you're just in the hotel the whole time having a great time we go to the ball game it's just so much fun
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's going to be a bucket list item for me for sure. And then, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. I am ecstatic to get all this information and to get it out to everybody. I've learned so much in this past hour or so. Uh, I feel like I'm a much more knowledgeable baseball fan as a whole. Uh, I'm sure you're like me. I, I'm a baseball fan first and a Braves fan second. And I feel like my fandom just grew a little bit and my knowledge and so i really appreciate you and i really appreciate your time and coming on the show and and sharing with everybody
1: well i appreciate you having me it's always fun uh to talk about it um congratulations on the braves winning you know you know it's it's really great but you know the braves haven't suffered as long as you know the mets haven't won since 86 and, you, and <laughs> i think there's i think the braves are in the middle of the pack like they're the 15th So if you go back to 1996, is that when they won? 95?
0: 95, yeah.
1: 95. So there's 15 teams, I think it is, that haven't won since then either. I mean, obviously, like, you look at the Indians who haven't won since the 50s, Mm -hmm. right? So uh it's really great. So congrats. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you buy you some World Series champion gear. Oh yeah. And get so you a, that
0: one on right get, here. Oh, there you go, right there. Make <laughs> sure
1: you get a tree ornament. Make sure you get a tree ornament oh, yeah, of, the, of the World Series trophy. It's pretty great.
0: Yeah. And uh
1: thanks again for having me. And anytime you want to talk about anything, doesn't have to be the Mets. I, I do I've done a lot of other research around uh all sorts of uh baseball things. And I have a lot of friends who who have helped in that. And I can see back there. It looks like you got some baseball cards or something up there.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I'm collect- a card collector.
1: Oh, are you? Yep. You should get in Sabre Baseball Cards. You should go check out that blog. And oh, okay. uh, um, so I collect baseball cards and we mm-hmm. trade, right? Like when we come to the convention, there's a baseball baseball card committee. And you know we'll just bring packs and everybody open packs and have a great time. So uh, Sabre Baseball Cards is also a really fun thing too. Oh, uh, that's
0: awesome. Know. Yeah. I'll definitely be checking that out for sure.
1: Thanks again for having me. And anytime you want to talk about anything, I'm happy to come on and chat about uh, not the Mets.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much.
1: All right. You have a great night.
0: Wow. What an interview, Chris. Thank you so much for joining the show. I truly soaked in every second of that conversation. In fact, when I went back to post-editing, I went back and meticulously listened to it again, not only for editing, obviously, but because I was really excited to just listen to what you had to say all over again, and I learned so much, and I know that the listeners are going to learn a lot too, and listeners, I hope that you learned something, and please go check out all those things he talked about, Saber.org, and everywhere that he writes, it's great stuff, great history there, and I cannot wait to dig into Saber even more and see the stuff that they have. Chris does have a Twitter account as well, I and I will put his handle in the show notes. All right, that concludes the first bonus episode of this year. There will be more coming out as promised, and what a way to start off the bonus episodes. What a blast. Thank you so much for joining in and listening. Don't forget to follow the show at Braves. Pod on Twitter. You can follow my personal account at SP Sports on Twitter. You can email the show at at bravesdugoutgmail.com for business inquiries, and you can find all the other social media stuff and things like that in the show notes on Anchor or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you again for listening. It was a blast. And as always, go Braves.